0: You are now tuned in to another episode of Bourbon and Books, the Game Recognized Game Podcast with RLJ and Kev.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Game Recognized Game Podcast with RLJ and Kev. We are uh, the Bourbon and Books Club along with uh, our brother, cousin Jeff. Um, We are here once again to uh, discuss our latest book of the month. The beautiful struggle, Tanahasi Coates, back again with our brother Jeff's uh, mecca, Howard University alum, fellow alum.
2: You know how it is.
1: Yeah, man. So you know we. See what you
2: did there. You know. Yeah, I saw saw
1: that. I saw that. That was cute. (laughs) That was cute. Um, But yeah, man. So we 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 wanted to give Brother Coates another look. Uh, You know, if you haven't checked out the previous episode of bourbon and books with the game recognized game podcast and cousin jeff uh, we also read between the world and me by ta-nehisi Coates a while back and this book um actually and i hadn't realized this before we selected the book fellas that uh this book was almost like a prequel we, we yep. kind of read we kind of read it in reverse order so um the this, was
0: his, sp- this was his first book
1: yeah, this was the childhood and kind of established the foundation that we later, that later became Between the World and I Me. Mean, yeah.
2: And while I was reading it, I was thinking, I was like, dang, it would have been nice to read this one before the other one.
1: I thought the same thing, man. Great minds think alike, cousin Jeff. Great minds think oh, alike. Man. Here we go. Remember uh, that to when we get to the ratings. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll Here. see. It's early. It's early. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we're right out
0: the gate. So right out the gate, when you think of the title, you know, in true GRG, Bourbon and Books fashion, off the title, what were your initial thoughts?
1: Um, to live. Kweli has an uh, album called A Beautiful Struggle. And, um, you know, I, I've often heard uh, the phrase, you know, the struggle is beautiful. Um, and so I figured that it was going to be uh, some lessons learned, um, and probably some provocative and uh, antagonizing environments. Uh, but he was going to piece it together to make it all make sense at some point in the book. And so um, I wasn't expecting his uh, kind of upbringing, but the uh, the establishment of how he. Describe his family life and his father and the environment just coming up in Baltimore, like really coming of age and growing up in Baltimore in the early 80s. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of folks that are not aware, um, Baltimore, when when the crack era hit, Baltimore was affected, uh, just like many of your major cities in America, you know. Um, violence breeds violence. And, and knowing that I'm like, okay, well, I, I wonder, I wonder how he's going to define the beauty in, in his upbringing. So I was, I was expecting, um, just from his previous, the, the work that we read previously, I was expecting that, uh, it's going to be a live, wild, crazy ride in a story. And he was going to land the plane in a graceful way. And so, you know, I think the the first book that we read gave me some privy to his writing style and his descriptive nature. And so I was really just expecting him to be able to weave together um what the beauty and the struggle looks like.
3: Yeah.
2: I, obviously, you know, this this author was able to select a great institution to bear at least his first degree. Um, but what I like most about him is, I feel like he's an artist in the sense of the way that he writes is very visual. You can actually see, like you, you're almost like you're there and it's somebody just narrating the story. So in terms of the title, I feel like the, the phrase beautiful struggle, it tends to mean the same for a lot of people. You know when you just when you just hear that phrase it actually made me think about you know at one point i thought i was a, a poet back in my day we we all go through these stages and you know if now that i'm kind of thinking i actually have i actually have remember when they had a the composition book they still had those yeah yeah the ones you, can, you can't they rip do. out yes they do yeah. and and so i had i had one um i, th- I used to call it the skillet because that where is that where <laughs> you cooked. that's, that's where I'm, you know. i can't i can't man <laughs> i can't that's the that's
1: skillet you was you was you were, you was chef jeff
2: <laughs>
1: with the with the pen <laughs> That's all right, bro. That's
2: all right. That's where I thought I was cooking. And that's um, all right. That's all right. I ain't mad at you,
1: man. I ain't mad at you at all. You know,
2: I I done moved a bunch of time. I I think I still got this composition book, but I say all that to say there was some poetry I I, I wrote, and I believe the title was A Beautiful Struggle. So to what was already said, is like I just knew that this would be a story of um. At least some like hardships and some triumph that would come out of it. So yeah, I I knew it would be something that I would probably enjoy, and it would be what I would consider an easier read, but it'll be some trials and some tribulations. So for me,
0: when I read the title Beautiful Struggle,
2: I thought of
0: Tupac's um, the Rose that grew from concrete.
3: Right? Like a Oxymoronic paradigm here. Like the struggle typically is equated to something that's rough and unpleasant. Um,
0: but when you think about the journey of a diamond coming from coal, it's heat, pressure, and concentration. It doesn't necessarily say that the journey to become beautiful is pleasant, um, is easy. Um, but it's what comes as a result of the journey, right? And so I was
3: anticipating some framework about the childhood and what led him to so eloquently write between the world and me.
0: Um, So I I was eager to find out how his writing style differed between the first book and his sophomore piece of work. Um, As you opened it though, I will say that, I think because we read this one out of
3: turn per se, I was kinda, I wasn't necessarily underwhelmed, but it
0: wasn't something that I was, I would sit down and just keep reading because it, it was that intriguing. I think i was expecting more um and at times it was hard for me to to keep going i'm like what did i just read or if i was listening on the audible version i would zone out so i Mm -hmm. had to come back to it only because we heard the abridged version if you will in the between the world and me um piece of work that he wrote for his son and so I will say that I was somewhat underwhelmed there was nothing that was like real monumental as I was reading um I did make it to the end and it wasn't a bad read it was an easy read I just I think it was just timing for me where we where we read it plus right at the heels of the book that we finished last month completely different lanes right and so that's where I was, but so what, what, what were your thoughts as you began to read and go through the pages of, um, the beautiful struggle?
1: Man, Paul Copes, it was my grandfather, man. Like, I feel like, I feel like I was raised by Paul Copes, man. (laughs) Like real rap. My grandfather, um, uh, used to make me read final call newspapers and, uh, um, message to the Black man, and uh, used to talk a lot, of, a lot of trash about conservative Black folks <laughs> in the media. Um, my my, uh, my grandfather used to uh, listen to Rush Limbaugh, right, conservative uh, radio personality that passed a few years ago. He used to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and I'm like, Yo, why are you listening to this dude? And he's like, yeah, because you gotta understand what the enemy talking about, and so this was like the household that I grew up in. You know, he was, and I think the only reason that he probably was was never um, part of the nation or Black Panther or a uh, five percenter is because he he's, I think he's like a a, a half step. Or a slight generation or a quarter generation older than Paul Coates. So he's like part of the, the tail end of the silent generation. And so um, he didn't necessarily subscribe to the foundation of many of those organizations. But I think my grandfather had a level of awakening and sense of self um having grown up in the the deep south and then like uh, migrating over to California when he was a young man like taking boxcar trains and like spending his his late teenage years in California just because he you know he got tired of the south he got tired of the segregation he got tired of the racism he got tired of the bs and um but it was conflicted so he had very he, he grew up in a, a Southern Baptist household and then also was conflicted with a lot of the practices of religion and Christianity because he didn't see it reflected in the South, right? And I think if my grandfather had grew up in um, a Northern city, you know, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, um, he likely probably would have went that direction, but um, in uh and Coach's description of his father, I'm just like, damn, that, that joint was, it hit too different. Especially the part when he talks about growing up in the house and his father didn't believe in air conditioning. All he had, he had the like plastic white box fans and trying to redirect air. But all you're doing is spinning hot air. Like, yo, that was my house. That was my house growing up, man. And the crazy part the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, all of the, all of the, Grandparents and parents in that neighborhood, I would say grandparents, they were also uh, products of housing projects in Norfolk. And so my neighborhood was like one of the first black, all black suburban communities, but a lot of those families came from all of the housing projects throughout the city of Norfolk. Um, and so the the way um, that ta structured the book. Um, it was just it, it gave me a lot of flashbacks because my grandfather was like no nonsense. Um, he he forced me to read the code at the house was like yo I'm not gonna raise anybody lazy or ignorant. You know what I mean. Um, and then kind of transitioning from that, just looking at how he how he grew up in survival and how he um, found a group of friends that had like common interests and they kind of became a clique or. Uh, a low a low level gang but it was mainly out of fear it was out of you know we need to, we better together because we get we get bullied when we apart right but then they kind of fist have fist fights with each other to test their skills so that they're prepared when they encounter other groups of young young boys young men and that was my neighborhood growing up like I became best friends to all of the cats on my block because we were getting in fist fights and we never went anywhere alone and we always went with either two or more of us and that was like a survival tactic because you know if you go you know a different part of the neighborhood because they thought we were in single family homes we were soft and they were in town homes or when our neighborhood would play football against another another neighborhood that might have been uh housing like formal housing projects you know they would try to chump us and you know we, we was like it was like uh, gladiators, man, <laughs> gladiators for for young boys. Right. And so all of those descriptors were throughout the book um, and then looking at his education and how, you know, he struggled academically, but he was kind of steered toward the path of gifted programs to be, be on the college track like that was me in the sixth grade. White teachers told my mother that, oh, uh, no, he's getting all A's. Um, he needs to be challenged and we're gonna put him in honors classes. And it won't, it won't none of my friends and none any of the honors classes. Mm-hmm. It was girls and, and 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 my our white counterparts. And so I stuck out like a sore thumb. So, like, where do you fit in? You know, you got a round face, you smile too much, you like you like laughing, you like having fun, and your neighborhood that you're in. Kind of brings out this tough exterior. And so him like going back and forth describing the different dynamics when he was just trying to live his life and you know seek out, seek out interests that he had, uh, it was it was all very reflective for me. And so, but I will tell you that um I think we got a sense of this book in Between the World and Me. And so to your point, Brother J, I do feel like um, it was a movie that, that I had already observed and I already watched. But at the same time, it was still entertaining because it was a good read and because like he, he gets even kind of more descriptive of Baltimore in the 80s. He gets more descriptive of um, the streets. And what it mean to be from the west side or the east side and what it mean to uh, meant to be um, from the various neighborhoods, whether it was Cherry Hill or Walbrook Junction in Baltimore. And, and, you know, I I have a lot of family on the west side of Baltimore as well. And so, um, you know, I I saw some of these stories, especially with my older cousins, that some of them were were really in the life, like, uh, you know, gunfights and things that uh, of that nature in the mid to late 80s. And so uh, all of that really resonated with me. But I also think it's um the struggle that he had is just uh I wouldn't even call him an awkward boy. Um, I just think you know, for us and and and, and educated gentlemen and and brothers that like to read and enjoy uh you know diversity and the in the type of things that um bring bring you a, a level of fulfillment, um, it ain't all about if you're a black man in America. You would hope that you don't have to deal with crime. You would hope that you wouldn't have to deal with uh, single parent households. You would hope that you can have the freedom and flexibility to just be be yourself and um, indulge in things that, that bring you fulfillment. But that's not the case a lot of times because I think we get caught up in imposter syndrome. I think we get caught up in, um, you know, having to um, take on a uh, an aggressive persona, because if we don't, then we're gonna get we're gonna get ran over, trampled, and abused. And that dynamic was everywhere throughout the book, whether it have been through whether it was with his father, whether it was between his brother Big Bill, whether it was between um, his classmates, uh, rival classmates, rival neighborhoods. I mean, think about it. He he opens up the book um, talking about uh, professional wrestling and Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair and going to a wrestling match and they're coming from the wrestling match and they get jumped. Like I I remember going to wrestling matches to see some of those same wrestlers in the eighties at the Norfolk Scope, and so it was like yo they, they would they were kid they were just trying to be kids like I was trying to be a kid in Chesapeake Virginia and so. Um, not a major city, but the, the way the, the story was laid out, um, throughout the book, I'm just like, damn, man, is it, can we, do we ever have the freedom to be ourselves? I guess I have, I, I was, I had more questions. I had more questions than answers as I, as I, uh, went through the pages of the book, because I'm like, yo, this is, this is kind of some sad shit that like, granted it worked out for him because his father gave him some structure and some discipline. And was in the literature and in the reading and um, expanded, you know, tried to force him to expand his mind. But I'm like, damn, yo, can any can if you're a black man in America or a black boy in America, can you just live your life and be who you want to be, and 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 do it in a safe environment without fear of retribution, retaliation, and a lot of the uh, systemic issues that we face, because like. I didn't see thugs, I didn't see crime. I didn't see um chaos. Yeah, I saw struggle, but um I thought I thought it, the beauty in it was yo, know, these are these are these were black boys like me just trying to figure figure life out and do it and not feel like man, if I speak differently, I walk differently, if I smile, if I joke, then I'm going to get my ass whipped. <laughs> Or uh, somebody gonna take my starter jacket, or somebody gonna try to punk me for my Raiders hat. Like I, I just felt it was sad to me because that's still going on now.
2: I still got a starter jacket.
1: Yo, hell yeah, hell yeah, they coming back. I never got rid of mine. I don't. I don't have
2: one. Never. You ain't cool. I, I had.
0: I had two, but I don't. I... I don't have
2: them anymore. Somebody, yeah, well, hey, well, hey, somebody man. stole it.
1: Hey, man, you better get it back. You better get it back, man. But uh, but it was it's a quote to kind of sum up that solilo- soliloquy that I just I <laughs> went through, um, that I I wrote down, and it was something his father kind of instilled in him, and he says on our life map, um, he drew he is in a uh, Paul Coates he drew a bright circle around twelve through eighteen. This was the abyss. Where unguided black boys were swallowed whole only to reemerge on corners and prison tiers and that, that kind of just it hit me because like yo if if I didn't have my grandfather in my life, where would I be? if he didn't have granted his father was was very unorthodox, <laughs> and um you know he 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 had uh, a lot of character flaws, but if he didn't have his father in West Side Baltimore, what would he be? And and I think that goes for any black boy in America like if you don't have guidance and structure, discipline and someone that either pours into you or believes you, believes in you and and wants to help you along, then that's going to be a tough road, man. And a lot of us don't make it, and I just think that made that made me sad because it's it's this like revolving door of bullshit. Because then those 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 young boys are gonna become young fathers, and they're not gonna have the resources or the wherewithal to take care of other black boys that they may be producing.
2: You know, sometimes Kevin, you you, you actually do hit it out the park. You, you, you sum it up. and
1: <laughs> But thank you, my I, dear I, Howard brother. I appreciate right. that.
2: <laughs> I, I hate to even say stuff after you because a, a lot of what you state, I a hundred percent agree with one of the first things that really kind of stuck out to me was the fact that it is so sad. Sometimes this, this is one of the, one of the few things about being black would kind of hurt sometimes. Being black, I feel like there is this box that we put ourselves in, and if you do anything outside of that box, like people will put like put you on. <laughs> I was gonna say this cross and like just start throwing stuff at you. Like, oh yeah, you weak, you soft, yeah. yeah. You this, you that, yeah. We, and it's I a mean, public crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And we do it across everything, across sports, in the classroom, in entertainment, like there will be someone who is we consider is great. Anybody outside of that, oh, you can't be great because you got to be this standard. And to your point about, about Colts, it's like, he wasn't awkward. It was just he wasn't interested in the same exact things that every like black boy was interested in. And guess what? That's okay. And somebody who grew up like that, look, look who they are now. And we like the world needs someone like him. If he decided to only do what he saw it would almost be a life wasted it it literally would be a life wasted and <laughs> Man, thank, that's real and thank god he had one you know parents that was there that was in his ear but also too i feel like in his heart he knew what he wanted to do i mean he was fighting like this struggle every day but everyone just isn't able to win all the time so it was good to see okay cool like this is someone who they they haven't found their identity, but they know they're not quite like everyone else, and they're gonna still try to maneuver this thing called life. Um. <laughs> you talk about, you know, like you saw so much of your granddad. I I felt like I saw aspects of of my father, and and it also made me think about you know my my granddads. Like, cause I, I was like, you know, what, what things did my granddads do, and it was funny my granddads was like never around. They were just, I mean, like they lived in other states. They were, they just wasn't around. That's thats the best way to, to kind of put it. Um, I know they loved me, but I don't have like so many fun memories of like my grandfathers as I do like my grandmothers. Like they were always there even like you know, to this day. Um, but I also thought about as well, you know, <laughs> Looking at some of the things that his dad told him or his dad, like, reinforced, I started to think, like, man, do all black fathers have, like, this, this book that they, like, glim- glance at and, like, they all kind of give, like, their sons or daughters, like, these directions? And what I mean by that is, you know, um, his dad basically, and, and my dad never was like, hey, read this, but, like, that, that wasn't my dad's thing. But I remember my dad telling me, "Look, at 18, you're a man. I don't know what you're gonna do, but like, it won't be at this house. So you need to you need to figure it out." Yeah. And it and it and to your point, like you you start you start out, you know, a lot of, um, punishing and things of that sort. But as you get older, it's just like now it's time for you to just figure it out. I remember even like with my father, my father just expected. And I hate to say expect greatness from me. He expected me to do well, but he also wasn't saying like, you're doing well. It's just like, that's what you're supposed to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You, you are man. And I use those examples to say, it, it's, it's so crazy. It don't matter like where you grew up at in terms of location. It don't matter um, at times uh, what, is your, what is your status in terms of money. If you had a black dad who grew up I would say in the hood, because I, I I always felt like my dad grew up in the hood, but my dad wasn't from the hood, you know? My dad was like a troublemaker, but my dad wasn't like in jail and things of that sort. Like he was the class clown and then he got his like act together. But to just see like those same lessons that were passed down um, to to this author in a book, this is like to see that still like resonate and play in our lives. And, and one one of the last examples i give too, you know, with his dad putting him into, I'm gonna call it a boot camp for the lack of a better sound, word. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie, it sounded like one, bro, for real. <laughs> my, like, my dad or my parents, like, they made sure that I was in those things, like things like Men of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. which, that, which the Alphas did or um some other like different things that Up I was a part bound,
1: of project Up. discovery, all exactly. that
2: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Be- because they knew my parents just knew they can give me some tools, but it was some other folks that was out there that was going to give me other things that they just didn't have.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And for example, like my dad wasn't college educated, but my, my dad knew what I needed to have <laughs> in order to go to college. And furthermore, my dad had already, he had told me like, look, Just like in the book, I don't, I'm not going to have no college money for you. So you need to make sure you get a scholarship and, and figure it out. So yeah, this, this book, um, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a copy of, of the other book that we read between the world and me. It was more so for me, the story of someone who grew up in Baltimore, And what that looked like at that time, like what were the things that that they went through? Like, that's what I kind of got from this book. Obviously, for for those who listening, I'm not from this area. A lot of things that were called called up, like I've heard those before, those street names and those different schools. But to just hear like what it was to grow up during that time, it's kind of like, okay, it was no different than growing up in Miami, probably in the 80s.
0: Yeah, I think it 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 was, Kevin, you mentioned like, or no, it was Jeff, you said there's a book that was like passed down, transgenerational, right? Of uh, Black men in the household say this to get your children to do this. Um, it was fascinating. It was fascinating, especially given the context of the number of kids that his father already had before he got with
1: he uh, was having some kids will not he man he,
0: like, they weren't messing around boy <laughs> but the thing that was like <laughs> threw me back in my seat was when uh Tete-Hassi's mother was like I'm aware of your other kids and the the the, the mothers and i think you're a good father and i'm sitting here thinking like maybe maybe you're not asking the right questions when y'all when y'all flirting maybe that was that
1: that was ill
0: (laughs) maybe maybe you're not maybe you're not like really looking you're only seeing how he's interacting with the individuals in store but what you don't know is that these individuals are like occasional visitors um so that was concerning to me um and then it was also concerning like the role that she took within the household the very submissive role and allowed some things to maturize within the house um given that she was college educated and like considered to be a scholar and it was different i was i was intrigued a little like what was it that you really saw in this individual that you needed to connect to, right? Like, w- what was it, and you know, the relationship part of my brain, I wanted to like really like, yo, I would really love to have questions like, what did you get out of this,
1: bro? Let's let's pause there and unpack that a little bit because you 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 brought up something I remember in the book, and he's like, well, I have the the father says I have five kids of my own already that I could barely afford to, to take care of. And she goes, um, but you, you support but you're a great father. I don't need you to support them. I need you to be their father. And yes. I want, and I, and you have five kids, but I don't have any kids of my own.
0: Yeah. And I'm educated and I can provide for them. Yeah.
1: Myself. Yeah. And so it's like when she hit it, it was almost like, okay, that sounds noble. <laughs> it sounds good to your point, brother Jay, but, it, it almost ig- ignored um, kind of how the father got into the situation that he was in in the first place.
0: The struggle. Right? Yeah, the, but, the, the struggle, yeah. And what, <laughs> the struggle was real. And what it did reveal, it revealed, it humanized the character flaws of his father. Um, and it provided an example for Tanahasi in terms of what he did not want. Right, like the lack of communication, the lack of follow through the 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 lack of or the avoidance of commitment, right? there was a lot of things that was really pronounced in the father's depiction within this, which made me value
2: between the world and me even more yeah i I agree mm-hmm. and i was gonna I would add to that, don't you think at times, specifically for uh, black males, when you're growing up, sometimes you may not know exactly what or who you want to be, but you can look in your like own circle and say, "But I don't want to be this."
0: Yeah, 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 and, and, yeah, and, and let's unpack that, mm-hmm. right? The conversations that I've had with individuals are age, um, and I think Jeff, you and I, we've talked about this informally right like i didn't have any role models near me i just had examples of what i did not want to be Mm -hmm. and i've heard that stated so many times where i literally sit and just like shit we all have felt this void of like we don't have an example like we can identify individuals that have strong characteristics, but like the bulk of us don't
3: have like, you know, every every ball player wanted to be like Mike. And in the
0: 90s, everybody wanted to be like they wanted to have a father or be a father like Carl Winslow or Heathcliff Huxtable. Like you you wanted a relationship like Dwayne and Whitley, but there was really few and far and in between concrete examples within the community that we can identify like, oh, I want to be just like this individual. True. And I, and and it's, it's kind of sad, right? Because I think any anyone that you can ask that would really have this conversation, I think they would tell you that they pieced together the model of who they wanted to become, and they borrowed a little bit from each person in different phases of their life. Like I wanted to be like my grandfather but there were certain characteristics that maybe I didn't want to take with
1: me absolutely it's like a like showing affection and yeah. you know showing affection to my son you know I didn't my grandfather was was stone cold man he was yeah. old he was old school you know what i mean he wasn't about a lot of foolishness but to give my grandfather a hug nah <laughs> What right? you doing? And I, I, I and I love you. Nah. you boy? nah, son. You, you sick? Nah, you sick? What you want? Me? You Get know what I'm saying? And and you know hindsight
0: is 2020. So when we look back at it, it wasn't that they didn't love us. They were raised in a time where men couldn't show like little boys. Like, no, if I yeah. if you start showing emotions as a little boy, you're going to be emotional as a as a man. And if you're being emotional as a man, people will take that as a weakness. Yeah. Right? And Tenehase talked about this, you know, when the, when the crew, because they were from a certain spot, they thought the other individuals, you know, oh, they fair game. And so it's interesting, man. It's like the stories that, similar to this, cause you to reflect like, damn. I really didn't have anybody as an actual example
1: not the not the perfect example no you didn't have one yeah we
0: had examples right um we have examples of what we did not want to be
3: Mm -hmm.
0: right like off the top of my head i instantly think about five or six men that i'm like i don't want to be anything like this individual and that was like embedded Or etched in stone at an early age and as i think back i was never shown anything different from the individuals that i have in my head this is who they were and now you know at 35 i'm like that was an accurate it was an accurate thing that i noticed as a kid like no one likes being around this individual i don't want to be like this individual this individual is always loud and getting put out of places i don't want to be like this individual and it wasn't that a and and i think it was the things that we saw permeated like our memory to the point where we weren't even able to look for any sunny spots with our experiences with these
1: people i think to your point i think to your point too um and just using my own case like My grandfather never wanted me to be like him you know because my my grandfather you know he 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 was the first to say like you're privileged because you know I have a sixth grade education and had to get a GED and climb poles and do uh, a lot of manual labor and uh legit get it from the mud so you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to get it from the mud because I got it from the mud and so you should be able to plant some seeds in the mud at this point and and carry on and I think part of it too uh brother Jay, is like we get into a a, a steady state of this this hamster wheel and and re and kind of having to re Create the will at every generation, at every turn. And so you really can never find an example that that puts you on that right path that you know may not have character flaws because it's like, yo, you you've identified what you don't want. And so by that, the default is I have to create something new, or I have to do something different.
0: and it's and it's tough. I remember at a program, i think the kid was 12 and he said i didn't have any positive role models around me so i decided and promised myself to work on the one in the mirror Mm. at 12 profound and i think
3: all the men in the room like it was a traumatic gasp like you tell them
0: my business like you we have a shared experience because like damn these individuals these niggas ain't showing up for nothing so now i need to figure out and put things in alignment in my life so that i can show up for stuff because nobody showed up for them and so they're right the cycle just keeps repeating yeah. itself and i was like you know generational curses can run through you or it could stop when it comes to you mm-hmm. we have to be able to make the conscious decision and it's it's hard because when you don't know better you can't do better now we saw better but we did we we didn't identify it as better, we identified it as something that was weird. Yeah. You go over to your friend's house or and you used to <laughs> hope they're not listening. But I think every family got to like a couple in their family that that always is like abusive towards one another. Like they yell and they fight mm-hmm. at every family function, right? And every. so when you go to your friends who don't live in this area, when you go to their family function and ain't nobody fighting everybody's have, like babies that are crying they're crying because it's like legit reasons to cry not crying because someone yelled at them because they couldn't get a soda they had to drink a juice or like they're being forced to eat stuff that they don't really eat but like they're being forced to perform a certain way because such and such is watching and, mm-hmm. and i know she's going like it was so interesting for me to engage with another family at a family function and it not end with like
1: sit your ass down you better not say shit
0: yeah like (laughs) it was weird for me and so then when i came back to my house and mom was asking how everything went I and i explained it she chuckled like yeah it i understand like i Real shit, real shit, little nigga. Like, I get it. So then when we go to another family function and it happens, I immediately just look, find my mother, and we make eye contact and she just shakes her head and laugh and we just, she moves me out the way and like, I, it was at that point where I started formulating things in my head, like I'm being forced to be here as a kid, but I promise you, as an adult, y'all not fitting to see me if this shit is still happening, because this, this is a lot. Because you're used to it, but then you're also kind of concerned and afraid as a kid. Like, damn, is he really about to knock her head off her shoulders like he just said? Like, is he, is he really about to peel her muffin top back? Like, <laughs> you're concerned and you really just want to go get a red hug from the cooler because you're thirsty. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's so much happening. And I think that's where when my clients talk to me about how they excommunicate from their family in my head, I'm just like, "Mm, I get it. Because there were so many things that was missing in the nurturing phase, or when we should have been nurtured, but we were being developed by nature, right? We're trying to fit in with our peers. And like you said, he knew that he didn't really want to do the stuff that was around him, but by osmosis and assimilation, that was a means of survival. So he had to be tough. He had to run with the certain uh, street crews. He had to act tough. He had to do this or he was going to be seen like prime
3: victim.
2: And this is one of the reasons why recently I was like, I need to be a mentor. Like I signed on to be a mentor for these same reasons in terms of, I didn't feel like I truly had one, but then two, like we just need more black mentors like out here. If not, it's just going to be another generation of black boys who turn into black men who are just lost. The other thing is, you know, I'm not saying that the world should uh, pamper black boys or, or black men. However, I feel like we it's not enough emphasis on things that we just have to juggle and, and go through for a 12 year old to essentially say, look. I don't have no mentors and I have to kind of like mold and mature the one that's in this mirror. That's just a lot at tw- like at 12, that's that's not what you should be focused on. Yeah, that's on. a lot it's that's heavy. a lot of
1: responsibility for <laughs> yeah. someone who who's not mature enough to 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 do it right. <laughs> who's not mature enough to handle when
2: the girl girl he likes says no to him. Yeah. We the world asked us to do a lot and I feel like the other folks and sometimes black black people too we just never sit down and think about like you you're asking this little boy to do a lot at this age and then wondering why like they're struggling or they can't get it right but you know mentoring is definitely uh important and yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna
1: leave it there. But to, but to your point, he he sums it up in this quote. He says, um, "I did not know that. I did not know then that this is what life is. Just when you master the the geometry of one world, it slips away, and suddenly again you're swarmed by strange shapes and impossible angles." Like yo, so how how can you expect how can you expect a young boy? To know the game, nobody taught him the game. And every time he learns one aspect of the game, it's gonna change.
2: It keeps it keep changing every five seconds. Yeah. And what I was gonna, another thing I was gonna say in terms of like just uh chatting with um therapists, you know, sometimes we have to be mindful of, yeah, you know, we don't grow up with uh a, men- a mentor or somebody we wanna be like, but we're saying these are the things we don't want to be like it's a person we don't want to be because when we focus on that too much that's what we end up turning into because we haven't visualized exactly like this is who we should be we're trying so hard not to be this person that we're essentially turning into that and i'm not gonna go into relationships but at times when we're saying like hey i i do x because i'm not trying to be y what you what you really find out is like man i'm being why more than i really think i am so it's a, it's a fine line um obviously i don't know the the answer to a situation like that but we just have to make sure that we're not just stuck in that frame of mind of i'm not trying to be like this person
0: it's the law of attraction right and the more you give your attention to something the more you manifest it yep and and i said this to a lot of my couples in session or individuals who are single, right? I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want this. I say, every time we talk about what you do want, you focus on what you don't want. And as the head goes, the body flows. So wherever you are thinking, you are releasing this into the universe and the universe is going to conspire to anything you speak. And I don't think we... I know we, as a people, haven't really discussed that. We talked about naming and claiming in the church. Confess it, profess it, right? We, we talked about all of this stuff, but we, what we don't really get in tune with is that the universe responds to what we release. Yep. So if we are constantly focusing on the things that we don't want or the people we don't want to be like, the universe doesn't really know that we're saying don't want right like your mind doesn't know that it's like oh hmm. kind of like with self talk they don't know you're joking when you say you're an idiot right so so your body starts to respond to the way your mind is is telling it to move where your attention goes right your energy flows and so being very intentional we don't talk about intentionality and manifestations we don't talk about it enough and we don't understand and I know this is probably getting far off the book, but we don't really focus on how we are functioning in the natural world as a spiritual person, right? Like we are spiritual beings having a natural experience. Yep. And, and the things that we are trying to, you're, you're giving us these natural
1: tools that don't impact or move the spiritual needle. And it does and you and you fail to communicate the how in it all. Like how how does it happen? How does it get done? Um, he says in the book, you know, his father was was really a, a a brilliant man. And every time he forced him to read something or wanted him to act in a certain way, his father would call it enlightenment. But in his eyes, it just felt long like it was loneliness. Yep. To, to to your point, brother Jay. It's like, all right, well, yeah, if if things don't align and nobody's telling you the how, then you could say, you could say, yeah, go out, be great, be great, be great, be great, be great. Uh, you know, believe it, speak it, receive it. Believe it, speak it, receive it, believe it, speak it, receive it. And then there's some missing components in between all of it. Yep. And some of it, and some of it is the nurturing aspect by which the environment that you're in. If I'm hungry, if I'm hungry and someone's saying, oh yeah, go get an A on that test, but all I'm thinking about is Big Mac. (laughs) But you're telling me to get an A on the test and I'm hungry, then I could, I could speak it, I could believe it, speak it, receive it, all I want. I get to that test, I'm starving, my stomach growling, then I'm handicapping myself at the at that point anyway
0: hierarchy of needs right no one discusses hierarchy of needs I had a conversation just the other day there was a student who was being bounced around from house to house to house and so they're talking about how the individual isn't intelligent and he needs to repeat the grade I said so you just shared the situation of the student and you said for the past six weeks he's been doing x y and z bounced around because of some family issues And you said leading up to this, six weeks prior, he was one of the top performers in your class. And now you're telling me that within six weeks out of the whole entire year, you are using this small window to determine that he's not intelligent. Basic hierarchy of needs. If the bottom isn't being met, who gives a damn about academic achievement? You want to know why he's not doing well on the test? Because he's probably trying to figure out who the hell's picking me up from school. Where the hell am I going to sleep? Are my siblings going to be there? Am I going to have to be here by myself? Like, are they going to cuss me out because I'm being an inconvenience because my uh, parents can't do what they're supposed to do? Oh, and is there going to be enough food for me because I'm now an additional mouth to feed? No one gives a damn about your spelling test. Right? We, 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 it's, it amazes me that individuals are in position to help but they can't go beyond their experience to help others in their own experience. Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The basic principles, do I have a place to eat, uh, sleep? Is there um, a roof over my head? Do I have clothes? Do I have food and water? Like, do I have housing security? Yeah, great. Now you can talk to me about my favorite colors. I don't have favorites when I have fear. Can't I can't focus on what I want to play when I'm trying to protect myself? I don't have it, right? And then going back to the twelve-year-old situation, I now I'm trying to develop this person into something that I don't even I don't even know how to develop this person. Yeah. I I can mimic what I see on TV, but when that doesn't work, I don't know what to do. So it's tough, right? And I think I think we can all identify with the title of a beautiful struggle right because our life has been it's been a struggle and struggle is a relative term it looks completely different i laugh when i hear individuals compare their struggle to the plight of african americans or blacks in america i chuckle because i'm like oh that's cute you couldn't get into the private school that you want, and that's the that's the 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 most devastating challenge of your life that's cute that's real cute and that that has shaped and transmogrified
3: and changed the trajectory of your life wow okay like what do you say to that you say nothing cuz it's like you and you're equating that
0: to a kid that don't know where he going to sleep every night when when school is over.
1: Or got to worry about uh, getting shot, walking to the school bus or go, walking to
2: school. wait, Or hell, being in school. Yeah. Am, am I going to go back home with my starter jacket? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, what my, what
1: are my parents going to say if I walk back in and I don't have this damn jacket?
2: Wait. <laughs> so I, I, get, I get beat up for the jacket, but then I'm going to get punished when I get home for not having a jacket.
0: Yeah, So and it, then I got to walk to the bus stop or walk to school cold because they refused to buy another one, right? So the fear of, am I going to be able to outrun them today after I sprained my ankle from running from them yesterday? And if and I, I take the long way home, I'm going to be late, so I'm going to get in trouble for being late because I took the long way home so I would get home in one piece.
2: Yeah. Uh, the beautiful struggle. And I guess when we talk about the whole direction and this how-to, how it makes me think about like this passage when, when um, ta writes, black boys with no particular criminal inclinations, but whose very lack of direction put them in the crosshairs of the world. I was like, okay.
0: That's real, bro. Cause when I thought about it, like no sense of direction. But I'm easily becoming a product of my environment just by osmosis. Just by me being in this environment, I become a product of it because I have no one around me introducing me or nurturing me into a different way. And a lot of times I remember um, my band director, ass White Dude, just retired after 34 years of teaching, right? I remember... Um, we were learning something in band class and someone was having a hard time with their instrument. And every time they got to the same spot, um, they were having a challenge. And he says, okay, cool. Why don't you turn your instrument just a little bit? So the individual turned it just a little bit and was able to do it. He said, the reason why you weren't able to do it is because you was trying to reach too far. And you just needed to bring it closer to where you are. And I'm just like, something that impactful. Oftentimes, right, as I'm mentoring individuals, I just literally nudged them to look one centimeter over to the left. You're consumed with everything that's here and you're pointing out everything that's in, in, in darkness. But if you can just look just an inch past this tree and you can see that the sun is right there, and that the sun is hitting some things you you'll have a new perspective but we many people don't have someone telling you just just turn just just a little bit i'm not telling you to do anything different i'm just telling you just to look over just a couple inches
2: and i would say interesting enough in this book you would think i Typically, someone from this background, you have a teacher that was just so prevalent in your life. And it was, it was interesting that that wasn't um his story. Obviously, his parents play a, a great role and they serve, you know, all our parents serve as teachers, but normally there's like that one teacher who, you know, they they are the ones who are really pushing you on a daily basis to to be more than what you can see. And I I remember in a book, he referenced like a few teachers here and there, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't like this constant in his life um, throughout uh, his matriculation. So there you have it. If we were to
0: pull out the Black Power fifth scale bourbon and books,
3: what say ye?
1: Mm it's tough man it's tough because um, the second book between the world and me just set the bar so high and so i'm kind of kicking myself for not reading this one first and then going on to the next because i think i would have had a i would have had a greater appreciation for this book however i still enjoyed the writing style Um, there was a lot of love in his description of baltimore at different points in his life, um, and though the, the struggle uh, was a, a true struggle at times, um, I think the beauty in it was there was a lot of love articulated throughout the book, um, regardless of, of the, the circumstances. And so for me, I'm going to uh, give it four fists on a five fist scale. I'm going to give it four fists on a fi- on the five on the on the Black Power Fist scale, four fists, um, because I, I do think this was like the this was like the warm up. This was this was and you know, in the spirit of, of the times, you know, this was like the Eastern Conference or Western Conference finals. And between the world and me was the finals. Mm. And so with that, I think the the progression, um, it was yeah four fists because I think I I think I gave between the world and me five if I'm not mistaken. We yeah, have to we have to go back and check the tape. So I'm giving four fists.
2: I mean, folks can't see, but Ronald making all these faces. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um. I believe that this author has, you know, created a body of work that regardless of what you read, you're not gonna hate it.
1: No, not at you, all.
2: You're gonna at least um, enjoy it. Again, for me, out, outside of the Howard thing, I really do like the way that his writing style, the way that he writes, um, it's, just, it's very visual. And I just, I feel like I'm there, I can see it. I remember him talking about his haircut. And he's saying, like, the angles were so short, they could have freed the slaves. They could have cut the chains and freed the slaves. And I was like, hey, it must have been, must have had a sharp little lineup. But I, I appreciate that. And again, I have not read as many books as the both of you. But for books that I've read, and obviously other, um, other authors use, like, the same type of mechanics, I just haven't seen it done, like, in this way. So I I always appreciate that when I read um, his books. This book, like I've stated before, it just gave me kind of like a front seat to like growing up in Baltimore and really being like sometimes, you know how you like black? And it's like, but you ain't real black. It's kind of like the whole Obama thing. Like he black, but he ain't black, black. Um, And and I'm, I'm using that as a comparison where, you know, he over six feet, uh, not not too smart. He's not dumb. He's not good at sports. But, you know, he knows a little bit about the game. Um, he understands how life like you, you're in this middle, this middle of. The black kids don't really like me that much, but the white kids know that I'm not one of them or we don't share like the same life experience. We don't live in the same neighborhood. We don't watch the same thing. So it's that this story of being in the middle and to have that play out in Baltimore is just very interesting. And to be honest, when you talk about a lot of, let's call it like black intellects or the talented 10th, we typically fall, we fall in this lane. Um, In many ways, you know, I kind of see myself where I, I ain't no thug, but I, but I also like am not. I'm not like the the folks who I would I would probably be grouped with. So what I mean, you know, I played sports, but I was in honors classes. The kids in my classes, they was not like me, and um, I'm kind of getting off track. But it kind of it kind of taught me about uh, being in those honors classes and always feel I was acting out. I went through a period of, you know, now I'm in honors. Nobody looked like me. I'm acting out. I'm wearing my FUBU. You know, I got one sleeve tucked up. I actually got pictures of that. It's like super funny. But yeah, like he he acting not out. Fubu. <laughs> he act, he acting out. And it wasn't about acting out. I just didn't see myself. And I can go back to not having a mentor. That's, that's good. That's good. But I say all that to say, I, I thought this, I think this was a really good book. I definitely would recommend for those who want to read it. You should read this one before you read Between the World and Me. Um I'm gonna have to agree with Kevin and get his book a four. I, I feel like this was a, a solid book. This is not a book that I'm gonna reread. However, uh if you are a fan of his work, I'll definitely say uh take a take a read at it. It's a simple read, easy to get through.
3: <laughs> okay. All right. Um wow.
0: asking myself did we read the same book but I um I appreciate this brother as an art uh, as an artist right as an as an author um
3: and you can see when you compare the body of works the bodies of work rather um how he
0: has grown as an author even with his more skillful intentional mechanics in the second book um so I will say that this was a good start and going back to what I said earlier um definitely should have read this one first because the whole time I was comparing I was I couldn't help but compare not to mention the book that we just read last month and so I was still on on a high from there and so this one This one, it was, it was a good read. I would definitely encourage people to read it.
3: Um, I, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a 2.75. Based on everything that I just said,
0: right? Should have read it sooner. Um, It didn't really hold my attention for long periods of time like it really it literally took me from the time we decided on the book until about six o'clock today to finish it um that's real because i had to keep going back because i literally would zone out i'm like what the hell did i just listen to or what did i read or some things i thought was too long and then some things i thought was too short um but yeah i'd give it a 2.75 on the black power fifth scale i think it's that's three probably- and
1: a half it's three and a half
0: three 3.5 total.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: three point five total three
1: three point five eight three 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 so we yeah three
2: and a half and i'll say if you if you listen to the audio i can see that i can see how this can go just kind of out the window i yeah. actually i actually read this one and i read this in two days which is very i mean because it was just it was easy it wasn't a lot to to unpack it was just if yeah, yeah. it just flowed straight through i was like yeah okay yeah
0: so you know um but no i love i love his work and people are probably listening like but you just gave it a 2.75
1: now i'm um, like i said it, it it shows growth yes yeah you know and so no so i don't think your rating is knocking the book or the author i think more so um my hope for all of our listeners is that you're encouraged to follow our advice and read this one first before you go to between the world and me because um the beautiful struggle of father two sons and an unlikely road to manhood um it i i feel like it was the setup oh yeah you know i feel like it was the setup
3: so there you have it
1: well on that note uh Tana Hasi Coates, the beautiful struggle of father, two sons, and an unlikely road to manhood, uh, gets 3.5 fists on the Black Power Fist Scale for this month's edition of Bourbon and Books. Uh, thank you for listening and joining us on uh, for Bourbon and Books on the Gang Recognized Gang podcast with RLJ and Kev. Uh, I'm K-E-V, that's R-L-J, and that's our brother, cousin Jeff. Until next time, read and be light.
3: Peace. Peace.